This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, Thanksgiving was fairly recent. Uh, And if you thought your turkey was expensive, well, just wait till you find out that Elon Musk paid $44 billion for his. I I just That's appreciate my, the fact I tweeted that I tweeted that and then I deleted it 44 seconds later. <laughs> that is the that, that is the best feeling. It's the only way to use Twitter in 2022 is to share yeah, just share for a the thought. people with notifications on. Right, exactly. It's only <laughs> for the thousand people who look down at their phone in that moment. Yeah. Hank, I really appreciate that you front loaded some Twitter content because lately I've been concerned mm. that the three or four minutes of the podcast we spend before you mm. mentioned Twitter are three or four minutes where you're not really <laughs> engaged because you're waiting for the well, topic du jour. I can't look at Twitter while we're doing the podcast ever again, or at least not right now because well, I I, may, I put an app on my computer that doesn't let me look at Twitter yeah, ever. I, and I'm so proud of you as somebody who made not being on twitter their entire personality for two and a half years yeah i'm really excited for it to be your entire personality for the next <laughs> two and a half years it was that said <sighs> we're talking a big game about how hank's not on twitter yada 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 but i can't help but notice that as we're recording this hank did tweet one hour ago so it what did i tweet i don't remember it hasn't what? been that long oh it, I, it was, it, it was like long. a customer support thing for the awesome socks club Okay. Um, I, I think it's to. great. That was part of my job. There there are still things that I must tweet. <laughs> yes. Well, and maybe that's maybe that's the way that it's going to be moving forward. Maybe someone will tweet on our behalves or like, who knows? The point is that I'm really excited for your personality to become I'm actually not on Twitter. Well, I just want to be, look, I want to be less on Twitter. I got a lot of, here's what somebody recently said to me. Do you think it's a slam dunk? Uh, because you got a lot of things that you uh, demands for your time. You got to run a couple companies. You got to sell socks. You got to you got a lot of sell opportunities. Coffee. Don't forget to sell coffee. coffee. You actually, we're actually not selling socks right now, but we are selling True. coffee at awesomecoffeeclub.com. It's so good. It's good coffee. My father-in-law has it. Yeah. And so I, I, it has caffeine in it, so I don't brew it at home. Uh, we don't have decaf yet. We're working on it. It's surprisingly complicated to make decaf. But I was over at, my my in-laws house and he has a subscription and i just you know i just had a half a cup that was oh my gosh it's really good coffee i know it tastes so good it's the best it makes me very happy such good coffee yeah i know it's really special hello everybody who kept just hitting the fast forward 30 second (laughs) button until john and hank were done talking about twitter today we'd like to answer some questions from our listeners 
I, there are so many good ones, and I've got some amazing answers for you. Let's begin with this question from Chloe, who writes, Dear John and Hank, if people who are under 18 years old are called minors, why aren't people who are over 18 years old called majors? Descended from Ryan's Chloe? P.S. Don't worry about pronouncing the accent, John. Oh, all right. Uh, we'll just say <laughs> Chloe then. <laughs> So it's really good. You got to love somebody who really anticipates the needs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, John, do you know why uh, why people over the age of 18 are not called majors? Because they're called adults? They are called majors. Oh. It's, it would be perfectly accurate to call them majors. Whoa. And in fact, the 18 in America is, quote, the age of majority. Oh, That's what yes. they call that. That's when you become a major. The majorization of a human is on your 18th birthday. So do you want to means... go deeper into why or do you just want to guess? Because I know why. <laughs> I don't want to go deeper into why, but I do want to just briefly say that this means that there's a character in Catch-22 who's, of course, a major in the Army or the Air mm-hmm. Force, whatever it is, in Catch-22, the one of the great American World War II novels. And the major's name his his surname is Major, and then his first name is Major because his father, who was a major in the Air Force, wanted to name him Major Major, and then he became a major, so he's Major Major Major. But it turns out that he's actually Major 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 Major, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Because he's over 18. Exactly. That's, that's great news. This episode is titled Major 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 Major. Um, almost certainly. <laughs> It's already happened. We've hit the title. You can turn it off now. I <laughs> so so these are this. It's the same word with two different definitions, and they they have the same root source, um, which is Latin or whatever or something. Yeah. And uh, and then they became two different words, and 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 then they ended up with two different you know definitions. And the reason why is because like in ancient times i'm not going to get super specific because i forgot all the stuff that i read okay but maybe in ancient greece or rome it would be like uh you'd put major on the end if you were the father of the person who had the same name as you who was oh. the minor so it was like the lesser or the smaller yeah. right like literally right, right. like this yeah. is you know julius the smaller so you'd be like Ju- julius minor would be your name and oh. uh and that became like the childhood name and then as you got older and you had a kid and your dad was dead or whatever you'd be the major and they'd be the minor and that just eventually came to mean adult and child oh so it was almost like you could journey from being a junior to a senior yeah yeah. Cool. Yeah. We all like like we have a we have a family member whose name is Little Mike, uh, little Mike. because he was the he was the little uh, littler of the Mikes. But yeah. Little Mike isn't Little Mike anymore. Oh, he's is like he? fifty two years old. <laughs> I don't think we call him Little Mike anymore. Uh, no, but I still think of him. I kind of think of him as Little Mike sometimes. Yeah. When I see when I see him, that's the sort of the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't call him that, but still in. Yeah. Here. Great guy. He is great. I love Little Mike. This next question comes from Caroline, who asks, this question was inspired by a recent YouTube short of Hank about Marie Curie's notebooks. Dear Mm. Hank and John, how do regular items, when irradiated, become radioactive? Can you wash the radioactivity back out of a previously safe object, or is it part of the atoms now? I understand the basics of, like, atoms decaying and letting off radiation, but something like a piece of clothing isn't made (laughs) of anything— (laughs) I'll explain it. It's not made of anything inherently dangerous, so how can radiation begin emanating from it after it is exposed? Pumpkins and penguins, Caroline. Okay, so I don't understand. There's a bunch of different things here. Yeah, the first thing I need to know, and I have wanted to know this for a long time, so I'm excited, is what exactly is radioactivity? (laughs) Um. So radiation yeah. is any energy that is emanating from a a substance. Okay. Um, and that is a problem because we are currently, in that sense, radioactive. Like radiation is emanating from us. It's in the infra it's photons in the infrared wavelength. And uh and so in that sense, are we radioactive? No. 
um, so so there there are basically two kinds of radiation. There's the kind that's made of photons, and so it has no mass, but it has energy. And then there's the kind that's made of particles that do have mass and energy. And photon radiation can be dangerous if it's high energy enough, um, whereas radiation that is made of particles because it has mass is go- and is going very fast is more dangerous. So there are two different kinds of things. We use the same word for them, and I don't like that, but there we are. Okay, so I want to repeat back to you what you said to make sure that I understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, Radiation is just like energy coming out of anything. Um, But the radiation that we worry about has mass. And then somehow it like penetrates your skin? Well, look, both both can be bad. Um, One, though, is always bad. And one is oftentimes just like the color green. Um, ah. so, so you, you don't have to worry too much about it unless it's like up in the X-rays when it starts to okay. become ionizing where it can actually, um, have enough energy to change something chemically. Um, and, but, uh, but this, these particles of radiation, they're actually like, you know, neutrons or helium nuclei or something like that, which is just, you know, but, uh, it's, it's another scale of thing, but, mm. uh, but when something is irradiated, that doesn't mean that it's turned into something radioactive. So, uh, mm. so you can like shine ultraviolet light at something that's going to kill all the bacteria, but it didn't turn that substance radioactive. What mm. is happening with Marie Curie's clothes when, and notebooks is that there was a bunch of radioactive stuff around, and those radioactive atoms are now in those things. They're just like the way that dust gets on stuff. So there's just atoms of the stuff she was studying that is on those things. So that hasn't been- And con- it's hard to clean off. Yeah, it could be cleaned, but they, you would destroy it in the process, which you don't want to do uh, because it's her notebooks and it's historical. Right, 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 right. Um, and also, like, whatever you cleaned it off with would then become radioactive waste as well, probably a higher volume of it. You'd have to dilute it a lot before it wasn't dangerous. Um, so it's hmm. probably better to keep it all in one place anyway. Hmm. Okay, Interesting. But there is another thing that can happen where if you hit something with a high-energy neutron, you can actually change it atomically and make the existing thing into a radioactive element. You can like add a neutron to it, and that's going to like make the uh, nucleus unstable, and that will cause it to decay and then emit some radiation. So that's what we are talking about when we call something radioactive. It's that the nucleus of the atom itself is unstable and will decay and emit radiation of various kinds, whereas something that emits uh, electromagnetic radiation in the infrared, like we don't call that radioactive even though it's emitting radiation. So those are like the three different things. There's like irradiation, which can like, you know, have uh, damaging radiation or not and does not cause something to become radioactive. There's being uh, contaminated with radioactive nuclei of various sorts because you're around them. And then there's actually creating radioactive nuclei through, you know, the emission of high energy neutrons or something like that. Okay. I'm just going to try to avoid all of it and remain as stable as I can for as long as I can. (laughs) Well, you can't avoid being hit with radiation because you would otherwise freeze. Okay. Um, cool. Thanks for that. That's not helpful. Um, Lots of things are true, but not helpful. There's a really weird experiment that you can do um, because the Earth is constantly radiating a little bit of infrared light, and, and this is happening from your walls, and so it those things are keeping you warmer. If you go outside on a clear, cloudless night and you look up, your face, the top of your face will feel colder than the rest of your body because there's no infrared radiation coming from above. And if you put an umbrella over you, you will feel like it it feels like there's cold radiating from space onto you and if you put an umbrella over you it will feel like you're stopping the cold from hitting you but what is in fact happening is the the umbrella will be radiating some because it has warmth will be radiating some infrared radiation down toward you then and it's noticeably warming your face wow so if you're ever suffering from hypothermia and you have no clothes but you do have an umbrella Use it will it. help a very little amount. It'll buy you like four seconds. This next question <laughs> comes from Natalia, 
who writes, Dear John and Hank, why is the skin on our body different depending on where it is? Like, why is lip skin so different from face skin? That's a great question, Natalia. And I have <laughs> no idea. Like, it's why a is- science day here on Dear Hank and John. You're making yeah, more after, after this, this is the last science question. I'm just <laughs> announcing it right now. We're moving on to hard humanities after this. <laughs> I'm going to ask Hank questions about religion. Oh, I'm going to do great on that. And I know. I'm, I'm excited. Say, I don't know. I know nothing. John, please help. No, I'm um, really grateful to have these science questions because um, just a little peek behind the curtain. It's uh, <laughs> it's week two of 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 our three week experiment, and John is mostly the Ed McMahon of this podcast because there are hey! certain events <laughs> happening inside of his television that demand a, oh, a percentage no. of his attention. Well, here's another here's another one, John. So there's two ways there's two ways for me to answer this question. There's what what like physically makes the skin different. Yeah. And then there's like why is it different? Like how is it how does the body construct itself in this way? Yeah. The first one is like we know the anatomy really clearly of like, you know, palm skin is thicker, it has more fatty and connective tissue, it has like that padding. Mm-hmm. Underarm skin has like a certain structure with like a higher density of sweat glands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got like lip skin, which maybe is uh, full of blood vessels for signaling to other Mm. people that Mm. like this is lips and you have to like read lips and so you want to be able to Mm. see them more clearly Mm -hmm. there's also like maybe a sexual selection thing going on there um and then there's like there's like skin that grows different lengths and amounts of hair Mm -hmm. and we know we like have all this stuff pretty cataloged we we know about it as for how the body decides to build itself we have a we have some we have some basic understanding of how that works um but it's quite complex, and we are still in the process of figuring mm. that all out. But yeah. basically, like lip skin is is co- is is able to be different from face skin, and your butt skin is able to be different from your foot skin because of the same reason that your nose is your nose, and your toenails are your toenails, and you don't grow hair inside of your liver. Like your body knows, like has systems for planning the body. Well, and I those don't are like complicated to... systems. Yeah. And you can research Hox genes, HOX, if you want to learn more about it. But we are on the path to understanding this. And we are certainly, I don't think, the majority of the way down the path. I don't like to criticize the body because I think in general it does a fairly good job. Like nothing, like literally nothing has ever uh created or sustained consciousness except for biology. So it's a little hard, I think, to be <laughs> I can't be too too to be too, too negative about biology. It. I think you need yep. to remember like, you know, I mean biology with with essentially a, a limited number of tools figured out a way to go from really boring bacteria yeah. to really interesting humans. So I don't like to be critical of biology. That said, whatever is going on with lip skin, it is a catastrophe. Like it's so (laughs) obviously a disaster. And it's amazing to me that people can be like, oh, we are in our like final completed form. How can that be if I need to apply chapstick to my lips 700 times a day? Like how can this be like a, a perfect glorious clockworks if it needs constant moisturization. Yeah, it's it's I think it's tricky to build these sort of uh transition zones uh from from inside to outside. You know what Hank, I don't want to I I don't want you to tell me all the reasons why biology had a hard time making my my lip skin not suck. I just I just want you to say the truth, which is that biology could have and should have done better. Well, but this is this is what I was going to say. It seems like there are lots of animals who don't have this problem. And I think that maybe it was our own doing that we selected this trait of having thin, um, you know, more colorful lips, either because it was helpful for communication to be able to read lips or because we just thought they looked good. Mm-hmm. And so we selected mates with worse lips, mm. like functionally worse lips. Oh, so you're saying that that where to blame? Yeah. Like you're not blaming. You say biology isn't the problem. 
dumb humans thinking that useless things are beautiful is the problem. And now, yeah, well, and this isn't now, even a human thing either. Have, this happens all the time, where right, you so, like, right. like sexual selection ends up creating just ridiculously useless, yeah. actually detrimental traits. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like the male peacock being the prime example. I that's a ridiculous thing. Yeah, it, it, they're ridiculous. They're lovely, but ridiculous. I think this is great, and I appreciate it very much. Um, And I also think it's a great transition away from science toward the humanities, because now we're talking about the strange choices humans make and how we find meaning together. Which brings me, Hank, to this question from Anonymous, who writes, Dear John and Hank, in episode 227, John brought up Rhett and Link's deconstruction episodes about religion, and John mentioned that Hank is on a journey of meaning. Can you expand upon that? (laughs) Can you, Hank, expand upon that? Can, you mentioned that I was in a journey on a journey of meaning. That sounds like it's for ah, you. No. It sounds like it's for you to no, figure I out. Think, I more think that it's more for you to acknowledge and explore. I don't know what you meant. Your journey of meaning. Okay. Here's what I meant. I, what did you mean? And maybe I can, maybe I can chime in because so, oftentimes I have no idea what people are talking about. Hank, I When it think, comes to philosophy. I think, Hank, you have been on a journey of meaning in the sense that you are interested in trying to find ways that in the secular world, with uh, secular belief systems and and worldviews, uh, we can still make meaning together, still take advantage of the benefits of ritual together, uh, still find ways to have the kind of connective tissue parts of religious communities I, I, and then I also think that you're a little bit on a journey of meaning in the sense that you're trying to understand whether or not meaning is something that we entirely make up together or whether or not there is some larger thing to be derived, some larger sense of yeah. meaning to be derived. Yeah. So from where I sit, humans weren't created, they happened. Um, and and so if 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 something was created, it was created for a purpose. If something happened, it, it just happened. And so it doesn't have a uh, an innate reason to be or reason why it was made. Right. And I, I, that is how I feel. That is what I think about yeah. people. That's this is, you know, it's where ev- evidence has pointed me. Yeah, this is one of the main disagreements between Hank and me and our worldviews, but it's not super important. Like, I will often say in our conversations, well, we weren't made to or we weren't made for. And Hank will be like, no, we weren't made to or for anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just the wrong way to think about it, you know? Like, uh, and, and, and I'll be like, well, I think we were made to and or for, but it doesn't really matter if the end of the sentence is the same. Like, the, yeah. whether or not there is a, you know, the two or the four is not actually that important to us, right? Or well, and I also, I, I think, I think that um, we evolved to do many particular things, right? Like, you right. know, our eyebrows exist. It seems people th- thought for a while it was a sweat thing, but it seems our eyebrows mostly exist to signal how we to like have facial expressions. So we were made to communicate. We evolved to communicate. Right. That's for that's very clear. Yeah. We. You know, our tongues are good at that. Our lips are good at that. Our brains are good at that. So, uh, but but I don't think that just because we evolved to do certain things means that those certain things are inherently good or the things that we should be doing. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that's, I often see people kind of trying to make that argument that if people evolved to do certain behaviors, then those behaviors are the right behaviors and right. other behaviors are the wrong behaviors, which right. I just think is definitely wrong. Yeah. Um, a, a misunderstanding of, uh, of things happening, <laughs> but I, but I do like, I, so I, I'm, I'm on board now. I understand now. And I am very interested in whether there is like, you know, I, and I think that this is, I think it's probably all constructed, but I think that you can construct it in really um, sturdy ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are there are sturdy, stable ways of constructing meaning, and there are 
really janky tumble down ways of constructing meaning. Right. And I'm interested in sturdy ones. Yeah. And I'm interested in and I'm interested in in uh in whether or not the sturdy ones have something interesting to say about what it is to be a person and about the value of people specifically, life less specifically, and the universe even less specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is value in an empty universe, uh, in a universe without life. I think that there is value in that just existing. And I think that there is more value in a, in a universe with life. And I think that there is more value in a universe with people. Um, and whatever form those people take, you know, c- complex, multicellular, or or you know, communicating, knowledge storing, right. uh, chemical systems, and I uh, and 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 I think that there are sturdy ways to build that, and I think that philosophers work and think really a lot about that. But I also sort of sort of like am, am on my own, trying to think through that a lot. And I love doing that. I think it's yeah. interesting. And I also like it, the the places where it tends to lead me feel good and feel right, and mm-hmm. and also make me feel like we're not like a waste of energy mm-hmm. and and resources, and you know that that the harm that we have done is not is not met by no good. It is met by an equal or greater amount of good. Right. Uh, so I think I, I think just to back up a little bit when you say you think it's probably all constructed. You mean like all meaning, all yeah. uh, sense of like meaning separate from, you know, just as you say, like the value that is in the universe because it is a universe. I think even that, I think even the the value that in, is in the universe is constructed. Like I can imagine a universe without life or people. Right. And I think that like I imagine that as more valuable than nothing. Right, like that seems right to me. Right, but that's a construction. And getting to, getting by to the bottom you, of why not, is is of course very complicated. But but that's that's something well, that you're constructing. Yeah. That's not something that's like quote unquote really real or or exists outside of the construction. That yeah, said, I don't think like, so. I, yeah. Lots of things that are constructed are real, like tables. Yeah, <laughs> for example. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these words that that are coming out of our mouths, right? Exactly. So, like the, the, the I, I I think this is where we are both really interested. Is yes, it is constructed, but so are tables. And are are there tables that can be really really helpful? And w- what I feel is that there are a lot of worldviews. There are a lot of ways of making meaning that are like having an umbrella when it is uh when it is like drizzling outside and the meaning is the umbrella and you're like oh this meaning is very helpful because it is drizzling and I'm not getting uh wet and I'm not uncomfortable the problem with a lot of those systems of of making meaning that are good umbrellas is that when there is a hurricane, the umbrellas completely stop working and and can in fact become counterproductive, right? Like they can like invert themselves. And if you hold on to them too tightly, they can carry you straight away. Right. So these mm-hmm. these things that are that are helpful worldviews or useful ways of constructing meaning um to deal with sort of everyday distractions can really fall apart in the face of the big hard realities. And you and I are both really interested in how to make meaning, how to make meaning in community that can hold up to that that work in hurricanes, that work in the in the mm-hmm. in the most difficult things, the most difficult moments that humans go through, that work in the edge cases. And and also that tell you things that you don't that don't just tell you the thing that that you want you wanted to believe in the first place. Right. That don't just confirm yeah. for you that the way that the way that is most convenient for you to live is the best way to live. Yeah. But it challenged you in a in a loving, non-shameful way. Right. Like so much, so much of the time when we're challenged by ethical worldviews, it's done as a way of like shaming us or guilting us or or making people feel um bad about their humanity. Uh, how do, how could how could you create those challenges from a place of love? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, 
and 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 the fact that like Hank approaches those questions from the perspective of I think humans happened, and I pr- approach those questions from the perspective of I'm not quite so sure that humans just happened is super unimportant. Like it's hard it's <laughs> it's hard for me to overstate how little I think about that and how little I care about it. What I care about yeah, is like I mean, can we find the stuff? Right, cuz the reality is that like it doesn't provide any special insight into like if humans were in some way created, we don't know why. Right. Like we don't get special insight into why. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because of because of that difference, mm-hmm. and I. But I think that a lot of people like their religion provides them what what oh, they see as special exactly, insight into yes, why. No, that's exactly it. That's exact. That is it. That is exactly it. That I don't feel like having that knowledge would provide me with special insight. Whereas I do feel like, for example, like the question of why did the universe come to be continues to be interesting to me. Because I I feel like it might provide me with special insight that I wouldn't get. Even if you told me, like, even if God appeared to me right now in the, in my basement, well, first off, I would be like, you're standing right in front of the World Cup, God. Um, so you make a, make a better door than a window. If you don't mind stepping a little bit to the left, I'm trying to watch Portugal play Uruguay. Uh, and then after I said that, I, I would be like... I don't know that it would provide me with special insight to know that the God I believe in is really real because I'm much more interested in like what God would want for us or of us if if God were really real. So like if God told me that, I would be like, oh, that's super helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, it's like I made all of this and here's why. <laughs> but if God if God just appeared right now and was like, I am, I would be like, all right, well that's I mean, thank you. Uh can I get some more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I how many questions do I get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Is this like a is this like a genie thing where I can make three wishes, <laughs> can I ask three questions? Like, what's the deal? Is this all I get? Is that I am? I am mm-hmm. is helpful. It's good, but it's not I'm not sure that it would give me special knowledge. And I think that's exactly it. That's you nailed it. If an it. omniscient something uh, like um, omniscient, omnipowerful something was like, you can you can gi- I can give you three wishes or answer three questions. Oh. And the three wishes will will always be your will will come true, and the three questions will definitely be true. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which I'd pick. Oh, I, I think I'd ask three questions. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> not if you thought but about like it for three- a minute. <laughs> Well, if everybody believed me, I guess. Well, yeah. Like, ima- like if, I, a- if, if it came with evidence of some kind. <laughs> this, is, this reminds me of, my, of one of my favorite jokes, but it's like 20 minutes long. I'm not sure if it's worth telling. No, definitely not. I think it probably is. <laughs> I, okay. I agree with you. I should tell it. No. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure that you should say... I'd like three wishes because the first wish could be I would like to end poverty and disease among humans. And that would be good. I feel like you can't ask any question that's going to be as good as ending poverty and disease. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I could also say first wish. I'd w- I wish to know the answer to these three questions. <laughs> but- that's good. <laughs> yeah. And then and then and then God would be like, hey, no, no pedantic BS. OK, I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> three questions or three wishes. We're not no playing cheating. a fun taskmaster game, Hank. <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Anyway, it is. Which reminds me that this this podcast is brought to you by John in his basement with God. <laughs> Still watching the World Cup. Step to the left, please. Also, today's podcast is brought to you by Lipskin. Lipskin, I need to moisturize mine right now because it's been 12 minutes since I last did it. This podcast is also brought to you by Major, 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 Major. Yes. uh, Who is an adult named Major, Major, who is also a major. That's right. And uh, this podcast is brought to you by a universe that contains nothing. A universe that contains nothing. Less valuable, according to Hank, than a universe that contains something, although he realized that that value is constructed inside of his head and not really real. Unless it is really real, which is possible, he's not positive. 
<laughs> Is that right? Did I get it? That's right. You got every bit, every bit. Yeah. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. We also have a Project for Awesome message to read. Uh, It's from Jessica to Hannah. Dear little sister, it's been four months since you've left this world. I don't know what to say. It just sucks. I know I'll always hear your voice quoting our favorite shows or laughing at a funny cat video I would have shared with you. I'm so glad the universe picked you to be my partner in crime growing up. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have you to play, laugh, fight, scheme, scream, and navigate the world with. I'll forever cherish the memories. Thank you. I miss you. Grateful for you, John. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think that's such a good description to play, laugh, fight, scheme, scream, and navigate the world with. And I'm so, so sorry for your loss, Jessica. Hank, I would like to ask you this question from Calliope, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how long have artichokes been around? I mean, I know they were cultivated at some point, but like from what? Something about them just seems very old. Pumpkins and penguins, calliope. Now, Hank, I think we should say for our listeners what an artichoke is, or more precisely, what an artichoke was, because I have not seen an artichoke. (laughs) They're around. I mean, when we were kids, our parents would make artichoke dip. They did make artichokes a lot. I really liked them. I think that's why. I I did not like them, and I still don't. I love them. But I I remember you liking them as a kid. And I don't think I've seen an artichoke since childhood. So this is a food product that looks vaguely pineapple-y. Yeah, it looks a little like a a pineapple. Like a green pineapple, or or a little Uh bit like a sort of succulent that isn't a cactus if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's got spines on the end of the leaves. There's a lot of leaves. It's mostly inedible, but you can yeah. eat the bottoms of the leaves. And, the and then heart. at the end, there is a heart, which right. is the good part. And you stick it in some melted butter and yeah. you, oh, yeah. I mean, so I, good. I wouldn't say so good. And I wouldn't say, oh, so yeah. Good. I would say more along the lines of, eh, yeah, hmm, okay. 
Oh man, I love it. All uh, right. I, I look, John. I have a very sophisticated palate, not you do. like you with this your is... with your silly little tongue. Yeah, that's that true. Doesn't and know my, anything. And, and my dehydrated lips. Sorry to keep bringing them up, <laughs> but they're just it's it's present in my Stupid life right now. Lips. Yeah. Um, do we know when artichokes? began to be cultivated? And more importantly, do we know why? Because it seems to me that like looking at that plant, you would never think like, oh, I bet this is, I bet I can get more calories off this thing than I'm going to put in to try to cultivate it. Well, as far as how long artichokes have been around, around 3.7 billion years ago, something started to be alive. And in a very real way, yeah. all currently living things are that same thing. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, artichokes have been around for about 3.7 billion years, which is the same for you and me and okay. bananas sure. and bacteria. Well, yes. Uh, and by the way, it is very, very weird that all of that life came from life, except at some point, life must have come from non-life. That's weird. That's a weird thing. It's- it's very weird. It's one of the big ones, that yep. one. All right. Uh, so we're going to make some but, meaning with uh, that. But but more importantly, <laughs> when did artichokes start being artichokes and not protists? Um, so there was, they, they, they are a kind of thistle. So they're related to thistles, which is wild, which you would never look at a thistle and think that should be in my mouth. Like they're, they're very dangerous looking plant. Uh and indeed, they are very ancient. They're supposedly one of the world's oldest foods. They were first harvested by people in the Middle East. They became popular in ancient Rome and Greece. And uh, there were sort of like two wild-ish things that and one of them we don't seem to have anymore. And we so we think that that one is the one that turned into the modern artichoke. Mm. And the other one still exists out in the wild. It's called uh, cardoon. And you can still... you People... Uh, did eat it then, and I think still may eat it now. The Pliny the Elder claimed that it could uh, cure baldness, strengthen the stomach, freshen the breath, and increase conception of boys. Oh, uh, and uh, there was there is also like uh, as it, it was cultivated, um, it continued to be cultivated in the Middle East, and when it was brought to Europe in the um, during the Renaissance, apparently it was frowned upon because people thought it was very scandalous for some reason. Oh. There was something something uh, about it that seemed. It does see. It taboo. is a little. It is a little scandalous. I mean, there is something yeah. uh, sensual about it. I guess, yeah. Depending on how you eat it. Um, so yeah. So yeah. That that. Uh, but but I guess we got over that, and then I ate it a bunch when I was uh, in elementary school for some reason. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that mom was just excited to find a green thing I'd eat. Yeah, but except that the part that you eat isn't really that green. It's more sort of like whitish, yellowish. Yeah, no, definitely not actually no fiber. I don't know how like what it's made of, but it's it tastes like it's made of uh like you know avocado stuff. Like it's yeah. just fatty. It's soft, warm. That's how yeah. I would describe it. Is as it, it's a bit of a crap avocado, and. <laughs> In Maybe that's why there's not any artichokes anymore, because if we got avocados. In we're 1980s like, Florida, better. there literally was no avocado. And so we had to eat artichokes. And now we don't have to because there are avocados. Yeah. So people say progress isn't real, but those people did not grow up in Orlando, Florida in the mid-1980s. This next question comes from Tiffany, who writes, Dear John and Hank, longtime listener of the pod, my partner has just started watching Crash Course in the last month and was wondering what the heck is up with Bernice, or I think Bernice rhymes with Furnace. He asked me if it was a reference to something because you guys both managed to weasel references in just about everywhere, and I can't find anything. So who the F is Bernice, not the singer, just her namesake, Tiffany? I don't know. You don't remember? Okay. I don't remember. All right. So- we had an aunt and uh-huh or I don't, she wasn't an aunt she was our grandmother's cousin whatever that is yeah 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 this is something familiar and her name was bernice her, it was spelled mm-hmm. bernice but it was spoken bernice rhymes with furnace and in fact when she would yep. introduce herself she would say it's bernice rhymes with furnace and she lived in rural tennessee and 
was a fascinating character, a a great repository of stories about our grandmother. And that's all I remember about her. I don't remember (laughs) ever mentioning her in Crash Course, but I might have. Yeah, I mean, I remember mom saying Burnus rhymes with Furnace a lot. Yes, I remember that. And then I visited Burnus in Tennessee when I was maybe like 23 years old. It was a great moment. Oh, wow. Actually, so I... And I think I talked about this in the Anthropocene Reviewed book, maybe, but I called. So here's how it went down, Hank. I was in a McDonald's in Tennessee, and I was like, I think this is, I think we're like relatively close to where my, this woman, Burnus, lives, who I've always heard stories about. And I do know Uh her last name. And Uh so I looked her up in the phone book, and I called her from the payphone at the McDonald's. And I was like, hey, so uh, I know this is a weird phone call, but I'm uh, Billy Grace's grandson, and I am actually in your town. And there was a long pause, and then she said, so you're saying that you're kin to Billy Grace? And I was like, yeah. And then she said, (laughs) so you're kin to me? And I was like, yes. And then she said, well, then come on over. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the the best Burnus story. That sounds like something Burnus would do, knowing nothing about her. And she was like 88 years old, and she made me uh, like pimento cheese sandwiches. And I was like, I'm not hungry. I just came from McDonald's. And she was like, well, you're not leaving this house without eating. Oh, my God. Grand. I love that. I'm so happy for you. So as far as I know, that is the only Burnus story I have. I'm uh, and I'm and somehow Burnus made it into Crash Course. Indeed, which I you know, I apparently that was a long time ago. I don't remember everything I said in those videos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, what's happening with AFC Wimbledon? Well, Hank, nothing lasts forever, not even cold November rain, as Guns N' Roses memorably put it. And after an unbeaten win streak of 10 games, AFC Wimbledon finally lost a game while I was not tweeting about them. So it turns out that maybe I wasn't the cause of the win streak. You only have so much power. Yeah. AFC Wimbledon lost 2-0 to Chesterfield in the second round of the FA Cup. This is a bummer because if you get to the third round of the FA Cup, you can make a bunch of money. But it's not a bummer Mm. in the sense that we weren't going to win the FA Cup anyway. So who? it's not like we were about to lift a trophy, you know? So it's a bummer because it could have been a big payday and we do uh, need a big payday. But Mm. uh, since we last talked, actually, AFC Wimbledon did win an additional game, which is encouraging. And, you know, at this point, 19 games into the League Two season, we are solidly mid-table and we like. When I say solidly mid-table, I mean that our goal difference is zero. So we have scored exactly as many goals as we have given up. <laughs> and that's not the end of the world. Like, I would love to see us go on a run here. We are only five points off the playoff places. But the main thing is to make sure that we stay out of the uh, relegation zone. So I'm reasonably happy with how things are going so far. And, oh, the only other thing that I should mention is that we have a player in the World Cup. Um, which is very exciting, oh. not least because mm-hmm. we get paid. Uh, w- w- the club makes oh, really? money when when you have a player in the World Cup. They, so, for like their time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chris Gunter, uh, who is our starting fullback, is one of the backup fullbacks for Wales. So congratulations ah. to AFC Wimbledon's own World Cup player, Chris Gunter. You're just like anything that makes us a little bit of money. Oh, yeah. No, it's just (laughs) good for us. Squeak it out dollar by dollar. Uh, Well, at Mars News, uh, great, exciting that the Ingenuity helicopter is still working. That is great. And it, in fact, has been working so long that they've had to upgrade it so it can continue to do its job or to do a new set of jobs that it wasn't originally intended to do. Hmm. It uh, was designed to just fly over smooth terrain because they're just... Basically, they're just seeing if this could like work. Right. But 
it's continued to exceed expectations. It's been really helpful supporting the rover. Uh, like it can scout ahead mm-hmm. and see see what's going on, help navigate. But in order to do that, it needed to get some updates so that uh, it could um, land better. So when it's fly- flying over smooth terrain, it's been pretty straightforward to find level places that don't have a lot of rocks that would damage the helicopter. But those kinds of places are harder to find where the rover is now. So the software upgrade helps the helicopter find safe spots to land using downward facing camera to detect objects that might pose a risk and steer away from those to find a better landing area. And it also helps Ingenuity process differences between its own movement and the terrain. Uh, Mm. So Ingenuity was designed for smooth terrain. Any changes at elevation would look to the helicopter like it was uh, it itself was going up or down rather than the ground was coming up and down. Oh, yeah. So instead of uh, flying over a hill, it would like correct its course in a way that was not actually correct. So the new software uh, uses digital elevation maps uh, to make the distinction between hills and the helicopter's own movement, making uh, it better able to navigate in its in the places where it is now. So super helpful, doing its job, and a way doing way more than we ever expected it to. So just doing software updates to Mars yeah. for a helicopter. Just the small matter great. of updating software on Mars. I love what you just said. Doing its job, uh, trying to be helpful and uh, doing it as well as it can. Like maybe that's, maybe what the little helicopter on Mars is doing is just what we all need to do. The best that we can for as long as we can. That's right. <laughs> We're doing our best. Yeah. And it doesn't have to worry about trying to find meaning, just landing spots. So that's great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to email us questions, please do so at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We are so grateful for your questions and for getting to spend this time with you. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast, This Week in Stuff. You can find out how to listen to that at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Debucky Chakravarty. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.